be them dudes. That was Ed Cooley from last night's win for the Friars, and they certainly were them dudes. They beat Seton Hall, number 15 Seton Hall, 70-65, led for the entire second half. And what is a huge win, second-ranked win in a row for the program. It's Matt St. Jean here with Joe Howie on the flex. We're here. I mean, that was that was a fantastic game. You were at it, Joe. Tell us, what was it like to be at the dunk for that environment? You know, Matt, I, I was a little... Um... Not sketchy, but I was on edge going in there. I didn't know what to expect. I know the dunk just mandated, you know, wearing your mask during the game. It's uh, winter break for most of the students that would normally be at the game. So I wasn't sure what type of crowd to expect. But um, at the end of the day, I I think the number was 12,000 out of 13 something available seats. So almost a sellout. Um, and it was loud. It was popping masks on. But, you know, you wouldn't really know because the energy in the building was fantastic. Um, at the end of the first half, when Horkler hit back to back to back threes, I thought the building was going to explode. Uh, I mean, it was just it felt like a ranked matchup Big East game. That's what it felt like when I was in yeah. there. Students or no students. Uh, the, the energy was obvious when you watched on TV, especially with that 15-0 run. And that was led by Noah Horkler, who he made this may be his finest hour in a Providence uniform. The way that he played in this game, the way he stepped up to lead this team, hitting shots in crucial moments, not the biggest stat line he's ever put up or anything like that. It is the most threes he's hit in the game, five for six from deep. Led the team with 17 points and 13 rebounds. So an easy double-double there. And three assists. And three blocks. And two steals. I mean, this is just... It was a one-man wrecking show from the Hork himself. (laughs) The Hork. Thorkler. Um, (laughs) No, I I, I mean, he certainly stuffed the statue. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I'll start with this. One... The, the long blonde hair looked fantastic with the gold trim uniforms. Um, I love the throwback uniforms. I can't wait to see the black ones in action on the road, but I'm happy they brought them out for home games as well. Um, but specifically to Horkler, I think the timeliness of those three-pointers at the end of the first half tells the story because this was a game that was back and forth in the first half until Horkler was like, all right, my turn. One, three, two, three, three threes. The crowd erupts. Kevin Willard needs a timeout. You go into the second half with a lot of momentum, and then you come out of halftime with even more momentum. So I I think the timeliness of those shots was really the game. Obviously, Seton Hall came back in the second half, and, you know, they were certainly pesky. They're ranked 15th for a reason. They're a good squad. But, you know, you were able to keep them a, a half arm's distance away, and you got the dub. And it's all thanks to Noah Horkler. But there are other guys on the on the stat sheet that played well as two, but Horkler, it was his game. Yeah. He had as many threes as everybody else in the building had. <laughs> he had five. Reeves had one. Uh, Aiken and Harris each had one for Seton Hall, and that Jackson hit two of them. So Seton Hall plus Reeves, that's five threes. That's in the five for Horkler. That's that's wild to have one guy shoot as many as that. Uh, your other lead story in this one, Seton Hall really in some issue with the COVID protocols. Uh, the Friars were missing Goodine, who was their only role player, versus the Seton Hall team. They were missing Tyrese Samuel and Aiko Biagu, two of their big men. And I, I mean, the Friars won this game in large part because it's how they shot from three, but 
also seven blocks. I think it did play. Uh, I think it was a factor, but I know Kevin Willard was incredibly upset about it on the radio after the game. Here's what I'll say, and there's a lot going on on Twitter from the Seton Hall fan base about, oh, we're missing seven guys, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so you're going to tell me that Brandon Weston, who hasn't recorded any minutes, Ryan Conway, who hasn't recorded any minutes, Sylvester Granada, who has only played five games, and Tyler Powell, who has only played five games, those guys are going to make the difference for you, Seton Hall fans? And I'd love an answer in the comments. I would, I really would. <laughs> Those five guys are, are gonna are gonna stop Noah Horkler from hitting five threes. Those guys are gonna stop Noah Horkler from having three blocks. Samuel totally warranted. That's a that's a starter. That's a key player. Averages double figures. Plays starts every mm-hmm. game. That's warranted. You can be upset about that. Even Obiagu, who's only played nine games, like isn't the biggest stat stuffer. Averages two blocks a game. You know maybe he shuts down He's locks a, a little presence. more. Right. Yeah. But does he stretch the three point line and does he stop Horkler from hitting all those threes? Does he stop Reeves from hitting that three late in the second half? So I understand where they're coming from. We miss seven guys, but a lot of those guys don't even sniff the court. So I don't want to hear that. That's a lousy excuse. And for Kevin Willard to be pissing and moaning in the press conference about it is a lousy bailout. At the end of the day, like it, it it sucks that this is the state of college basketball right now, especially with breakthrough infections, because if your guys are vaccinated and your guys are boosted and you still get COVID through that, that's no one's fault. That just sucks. You can't blame anyone. But Zach Brazilia from the New York Post reported a couple weeks ago that Seton Hall has a number of unvaccinated players. So at that point, you have to take some ownership. You have control in whether or not you can get vaccinated or not. If there's a medical reason why you can't, we'll leave that out. But if you have a number of unvaccinated players and you're missing half your team, you need to look in the mirror and realize this isn't breakthrough. This isn't like a an OF moment like this. There's a degree of control here. Yeah, you're not doing everything you can do to help your team. And Seton Hall's not the only team that's had issues with this this year. You look, the, the primary one has been Memphis with Penny Hardaway there. They've been having a whole host of issues. But I'm not, I mean, <laughs> it's a tough situation for Seton Hall to be in, but you got to do everything you can to prevent it. You've got to do what you can for the health and safety of your own players, too. I mean, these are a lot of, Seton Hall has a lot of talented guys. They could have guys go into the league. You don't want to see careers in jeopardy because these guys have a long COVID or anything like that. Like, let's, let's do what we can to keep these guys safe. That's what it's about. But again, at the same time, you got to win with who you have out there. Providence was uh, able to get things done without Jared Bynum. Yeah, and no one talks about it either. You know, no. UConn fans are, are pissing and moaning because Adama Sanogo <laughs> was out. Like, n- no one said anything when Jared Bynum was out and we won four games without him. So I don't want to hear it. L- like, Adama Sanogo doesn't stop A.J. Reeves from hitting four threes against UConn. Ike Obiagu doesn't stop Noah Horkler from hitting five threes against Seton Hall. Like, Yes, you're missing key guys, and if we missed Watson, we would be the same way. But Watson doesn't stop three-point shooting. Watson doesn't stop guards the same way. No. Obiagu, Samuels, um, Sonogo doesn't stop guards from scoring. Sure, it's rim protection, and it's a paint presence that is tough to play with. But at the yeah. end of the day, it doesn't change the dynamic of the backcourt or the wing. Yeah, If Nate Watson went out there and scored 25 points, then I think you're saying, all right, let's see what happens in the rematch. This is this is Horkler having a game against, keep in mind, this might be the best three-point defense in the Big East. 
and he shot the lights out of the building. Nobody else could get it done, but he was hot, and they, they schemed him open looks. They got him a couple of really nice opportunities out there. Seton Hall didn't defend him well, so you got to credit that. And while we're yeah. talking defense, this Friars defense, too, with the exceptions of some issues late and Bryce Aiken hitting a three from wound socket. Outside of that, I think it was a very impressive man-on-man defensive performance from guys like Durham and Manaya. Yeah, and, and you know, I will give Seton Hall credit. You know, Jared Roden was playing with a case of Manaya-itis. Uh, credit yeah. to Friared Up on Twitter for coming up with this one. Um <laughs> I mean, that's another thing, too. Like, you can piss and moan about the the three guy, the four guys that barely touched the floor being out. But at the end of the day, Jared Roden's your best player. Miles Kale is extremely talented. Kadari Richmond is talented. Um, what's his name? Bryce Aiken is talented. Like, it, it's not like, Alexis Yetna. Yetna let him in scoring. It, it's not like you're you're fielding walk-ons. You're fielding really talented scholarship players. Jared Roden's your leading scorer because – you, your other guys are, are out. Does, is that why Jared Roden went 4 of 12 from the field with only 10 points? Is that why? No, it's because Manaya deed him up and did a good job of it. It has nothing yeah. to do with the guys that were out. And by the it, way, it, it's not like it was a, a five-man rotation. They had eight guys that played. Yep. And here's the other thing. If you want to talk about the big man, Trey Jackson, who's the, the big man that filled in for Tyrese Samuel, 6'9", six, 6'10", six, six, depending on where you look. He was a top 100 recruit back in the day. He has averaged eight points a game for Seton Hall this year. He was in double figures. So it's not like they had no big men. Again, if Seton Hall came out here and had no big men, then it even, I mean, you could just say, all right, that's going to mess up their scheme. They had guys. They didn't have everybody, but this is the way basketball goes. It's why you need depth because it's going to be tested at some point. And the Friars have had it tested at points this year, and they've responded very well. Seton Hall, quite frankly, they responded well. They didn't play like the worst game ever, but they let the game get away from them. And the, the Friars played better just all night long. Plain and simple. It really is that that simple. Friars were the better team. You can, as a Seton Hall fan, you can make all the excuses in the world, but at the end of the day, you still fielded some of your best guys, and Providence just straight up played better. Both teams ran an eight-man rotation, and not to mention, Seton Hall had two guys that recorded a double-double, Yedna and Roden. 13 and 11 for Yedna, 10 and 10 for Roden. So it's not like Seton Hall played a bad game. They just didn't play as good of a game as Providence. That's the end of the day bottom line statement when you look at you know what oh this and that oh pissing and moaning about missing guys at the end of the day they didn't play well against Providence but they played well enough to stay within five yeah after the Friars you had you want to talk about rotations Providence had 68 of their 70 points were accounted for by five players Manaya didn't score Breed only played four minutes didn't score and Croswell made one basket he had two points in his 12 minutes of playing time the other five guys, though, every single one of them in double figures. You talk about Horkler, you had 14 points for Jared Bynum, who had one of his best games in a Friar uniform, led the team with four assists, was very, very efficient, hit his free throws. 14 points from Watson, not quite as efficient, but a bunch of rebounds in there and two blocks. And then you add in Durham. 8 of 10 from the free throw line, just like you wanted. And Reeves hit that one other three for Providence late in what Ed Cooley called the, the play of the game. 
Yeah, th- this was as well-rounded of an approach as you, you, you we've seen this season. Um, I even think, too, that it's noteworthy that towards the end of the, the first half, Nate Watson tweaked his calf and still played the second half and still put up 14 points, still flirted with a double-double with seven rebounds. Like, that that kid is just a beast, you know? So I, I, I think that's worth noting. He was playing, and he was hobbling, too. Like, oh, yeah. it wasn't like he came out and was crisp. Like, he was limping, and he was still playing. I, I think yeah. that's so noteworthy. Um, Reeves hitting that dagger three. And also, let's talk about Reeves playing downhill because this isn't something mm-hmm. that we see a lot from him. Driving to the cup, getting good looks at the basket from close. Like, this is what you need out of him. It's not – he's not a one-trick pony. It's not three-pointers, three-pointers, three-pointers. Get his confidence up. You let him drive to the rack, get, score a couple of points, and then he'll hit the big threes when you need. And last night was yep. the, the textbook example of that. Oh, my – yeah. This is an, a really good performance from A.J. Reeves because of that. He only hit one three and still scored in double figures. Why? Because he was four or five inside the arc. He made the shots around the rim, helped finish, helped rebound, did all the little things. And that's why I coolly had said before the season, he thought this might be the best year that Reeves has had, that he's more focused. He's sharper. He's in double figures again. Like he's he's hot. He's playing better basketball than he has at any point in his Providence career. His, the fundamentals are there. Uh, yeah, I like it. I, there was a couple of plays where he was just taking it to the rack, and it's like, all right, you see the size on display there. You see that finishing touch. It's really nice to see. I'm happy for him. Not, not to mention, too, what's great about Reeves driving to the rack is opposing defenses are so used to him being this one-trick pony from deep so that when he drives, he, he almost gets a clear lane because no one is looking to guard him. Like, it almost catches guys off, off guard. It, like, I, I didn't – like – He's not the best. He's not the best with the dribble drive. It looks a little robotic, but it, it works because no guys are going to defend him because they think, oh, he's either going to kick or he's not driving to the cup. No, like three or four times he did, and it was it worked. Uh, I just I like seeing like the the different arsenal of ways that these guys are playing. I think also too Durham and Bynum going coast to coast last night and finishing was so refreshing. We haven't seen guards do that since the Kyron Cartwright days. So to no. see two of your backcourt players doing it with ease, that was nice. And it was it was really nice to watch. Uh, there were a couple times, especially early, Durham would get the ball and in transition, he would just go like shot like a missile towards that basket, which this is a Seton Hall defense that really likes to slow things down. And I appreciate it. He was out there saying, all right, we're going to push the pace. You want to slow things down? I want to make you uncomfortable. One, let's try to, if we can get buckets in transition, let's do it. So you don't have time to set up. Two, let's make sure you're running back here full speed. We'll get you a little bit tired. We'll get you worn out. We'll get some advantageous looks while we're at it. So I thought he had a very good game. And yeah, I mean, there, there was not a Friar that played in this game that had a bad one. Even I mean, Mania didn't score. His effort on defense was remarkable. Five rebounds and two blocks for him. And Croswell. I mean, Croswell got a bunch of fouls, so he didn't play as much because of that. And Seton Hall played smaller ball, so the Friars didn't need big men as often. But yeah, still had a I decent, think the shots didn't fall, but he had a good game. Exactly. I think starting with Croswell, you know, he also he caught the the bad end of a couple of um, unfavorable matchups too. you know, he's six foot eight. He's like an Emmett Holt type uh, big man where, you know, he's going to play bigger. But when you're being smothered by two six foot nine, six foot ten guy under the rim, like 
you know, that's just nobody's fault. Um, but he plays tough. You know, I think you got to give him a lot of credit. He played tough last night. Um, and Manaya, no points scored, you know, over from the field, but still 28 minutes. And I said this in the pregame show. He was so important with shutting down Jared Roden. And listen, Jared Roden still recorded a double double. He had a, a fine game, but not what you expect from the guy who averages 17 a game. If, you're, if we're just isolating scoring, 10 points on 4 of 12 shooting is not the efficiency. It's not the stat stuff that you expect out of Jared Roden. And you have to give all the credit in the world to Justin Minaya. He took that assignment and he, he played damn well. He really did. And part of it, I mean, Roden had four fouls. It just kind of looked like he lost his composure late in the game. And a lot of that was because of Minaya. It was just... This is the first team Seton Hall has played that was really as tough and as lengthy and as physical as they are, if not more so. And they looked kind of lost at some points as a result. And credit to them for hanging with it and staying in. They played really well down the stretch to make this closer than it ever should have been. They were they were frustrated. Things weren't coming as easily for them, and they didn't know what to do. Seton Hall is an extremely talented team, and they're going to be a really tough out in conference play this year. I, I don't want to play them again, just like I don't want to play no. UConn again. I'm happy we played them already and we got the dub at home because that's what you want to do. You want to win at home. But they're a tough yeah. out. And when Samuel is on the floor, maybe it's a different game. When Obiagu's on the floor, maybe it's a different game. When Brandon Weston, Ryan Conway, Sylvester Granada, <laughs> Tyler Powell are, are on the bench watching other guys on the floor, Maybe it's not a different game because those guys have zero impact. But maybe, you know what? Maybe 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 we're underestimating the impact they have on morale. Like maybe they just they're the best pep talkers out there. Maybe that's what was missing for Seton Hall. I don't know. Seton Hall fans, maybe. let us know in the comments. Maybe one of them's like really really funny and breaks the tension well. I don't. Maybe. Oh, yeah. you you want to talk about breaking the tension? If there's ever been a team that looks like their coach with respect to pissing and moaning to the refs it's Seton Hall. <laughs> oh my god it is Seton Hall they cried Jared Roden won his facial expressions like his physical mannerisms when a foul gets called on him you would think like they just accused him of shooting someone like <laughs> oh come on man. like like there was physical contact there I, I think my favorite Seton Hall cry to the ref was when Horkler volleyball spiked Bryce Aiken's layup and Aiken is like hitting his arm to the ref like that was a foul that was a foul and they show the replay on the big screen it's all ball like all ball whatsoever like your pride is hurt so I see why you're begging for the call but when you're that size and a man like Horkler volleyball spikes it you just got to tuck your head and 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 take it I I mean Mm -hmm. trying trying to to cry that it was a foul is just a bad look on you oh yeah now you know what I thought was funny one of those fouls for Roden was an offensive one in transition. And it may have been the most obvious charge I've ever seen in my life. Like Al Durham got back there on defense and set up like got his feet set and everything. But he's not the biggest dude in the world. And you know how long Jared Roden is. And Roden could have easily gone to either side of them and finished for a layup. Like it wouldn't I mean, it would have been an easy two points for him. They would have made it. Like I have no doubt in my mind. Instead, he just drops the shoulder, goes full on like linebacker on Al Durham and decks him. Well, yeah, of course that's a foul. And he didn't I mean yeah. he didn't complain to the refs after that one because he knew exactly no, what you, he had you just know done. you know what you're doing with that one. That one yeah, that and was- it was just like that was totally one of those moments where it's just like, all right, you're frustrated and you're looking to take it out. And so playing basketball and that's why Providence is winning this game. 
we're mentally yeah, tougher that, than you are. I was going to say that was a total, total frustration foul. And listen, it's totally warranted. Seton Hall has practiced twice in the past two weeks. They're missing a bunch of guys like that. This was a frustrating game for them. They still played well. You still give them credit for playing well. But the frustration, I think, is was the 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 name of the game for them last night. Um, another notable one that was kind of funny in it was sometime like midway through the first half, there was a loose ball on the Friars end in front of the Seton Hall bench and Reeves goes to get it. And I don't, I don't even remember who it was because it happened so quick, but a Seton Hall player looks, it looks like from where I was sitting, it looked like he tackled AJ Reeves out of bounds to get the ball. And the ref rightfully so called a foul on him. I thought Kevin Willard was going to soar through the ceiling of the Dunkin' Donuts Center. That's how high up he jumped. Like, uh, I think Kevin Willard's a great coach, but he's also one of those coaches that that loves pissing and moaning to the refs. Uh, that was just a funny sequence to me. Like, your player just tackled A.J. Reeves, and you're upset that they called a foul on him? Like, uh, I mean, this is this was a frustrated Seton Hall team. It's warranted. You're having COVID issues. But at the end of the day, like – you got to play with the cards you're dealt. Like Providence played four games without their starting point guard. You know, if you want to play, if you're, you want to cry that you have four bench players that really don't touch the floor. Fine. Again, Samuel Obiagu warranted, but you got to play the cards you're dealt. You still had three or four of your best scores on the floor last night. Yep. This, the rematch between these two teams is certainly going to be an interesting one. They meet again at the Prudential Center in mid-January, the 18th. It's a weeknight game there. So yeah, I cannot wait for that one. But like Ed Cooley said during the game, it was a street fight. Street fight, And the Friars were just the tougher team. And that's, that's their MO this year. Now, next up for Providence, this Saturday, a game that got moved from two o'clock to three o'clock and moved from Fox sports one over to the, uh, the national Fox window. Briars taking on DePaul. And this is a, a different DePaul team. I think than the one that the Friars played last year and lost to last year. But I mean, DePaul lost last night to Butler. I think that had more to do with Butler than with them. DePaul's nine and two this year. They are top 100 right now on Ken Palm. They're, they're 88 there. So they're in the top 90. This is the best DePaul's been in a while. Tony Stubblefield is doing some good stuff with that team. I think this is going to be a, uh, this, this is a tougher game on paper than I think we anticipated it to be at the start of the year. Put it that way. Um, I agree. And I saw a tweet last night. I, I forget if it was from Friars fam or Friars faithful. It's one of those two accounts. But um, it said that, you know, they're scared looking forward to this DePaul game. And I agree. It, it's a road game. It's the first day of the new year. It's after a tough Seton Hall game. Ideally, on the schedule, it's supposed to be a cupcake, you know, a get right, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. This is going to be a tough game. This is a different DePaul team, like you said, Matt, than that we've seen in years past. And by the way, DePaul always has a way of like getting our goat. You know what I mean? Like there, there have been some seasons where we've split with them. Um, there was the one year at the Dunkin' Donuts Center where they blew us out by 30. Like DePaul matches up well with us just overall, like stylistically, player profile wise. Like this is not a bad. And that was under Dave Lado, who was a terrible coach. Tony Stubblefield's in here now. They're 9-2, and 0-1 on the road in their first conference game, which, again, is warranted. Butler was supposed to be good this year. Uh, they're they're going to look to make some noise against the Providence Friars, who are 21st ranked, coming off of two ranked wins, one on the road, one at home. 
they're going to look to make some noise. They want a piece of the pie this weekend. They absolutely will. Uh, and this is a DePaul team that they the, the roster got shuffled a little bit against Butler. They had no David Jones. He's in the health and safety protocols. We do not know if he'll be available for the Blue Demons on Saturday. And he's he's top five in the Big East in scoring and rebounds right now. He's he's having a great sophomore year for them. And Nick Ongenda got kicked out partway through the game at Butler because there was a little, little skirmish, little classic Big East brawl on the sidelines there. So he had to leave. And then the flip side of this, Javon Johnson, who's one of their transfers, he got ruled. He's been, I think it was academically uneligible to play. And he got the go-ahead right before the game started. So that was his first game for DePaul at Butler. Scored uh, six points, knocked down two triples. This is a guy who played at Iowa State last year. So that's going to be a new wrinkle for the scouting report for the Friars this weekend. So this is... It's a, it's a tough DePaul team, put it this way. This is this is not a sure victory. Uh, I think the Friars, you you got to start out 2022 on the right foot, though. This is a game you still got to win, even though it's going to be a, a tough one. I agree. And I think this DePaul game can kind of be used as uh, an overarching profile for what to expect in the Big East this year. It's, there, there's no cupcakes anymore. And nope. I think in the past... Um, you had coaches like Dave Lado, like Steve Wojo, who um, who was the old coach of St. John's um, Mullen, Chris Mullen, Chris Mullen. You had coaches like that where you could play them and you can expect, all right, we're going to blow this team out. Not anymore. Like the coaching staff of the Big East, the profile has improved. The player profile and talent has gone up. I mean, even a team like Georgetown is a wild card and you don't know what you're going to get with them. I think it starts this Saturday against DePaul. You know, you got to be dialed in. There's no cupcakes anymore. There's no there's no trap games. There's no buy games. Every game you have to fight tooth and nail for a victory. And I think Ed Cooley's prepared for that. Um, He alluded to it in the postgame presser last night. So I, I think they're prepared for a very tough game. And also, it's another road game. So you're away from home. You're traveling during the winter, you know, over the holidays. Like you're going to be out of your element. You're going to be uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. you, you still got to be prepared. Yeah, this is this is a DePaul team that's they like to move the ball pretty fast. They're in the top 30 in tempo or just outside the top 30 in tempo nationwide right now. And they get to the basket. They play a lot of isolation ball. They're long. So basically, they're trying to move you in transition. They're trying to get the ball inside as fast as possible and get their looks. They don't shoot the three that much. They don't hit a lot of threes. That's not part of their game plan. They're just big <laughs> they're they're 22nd in the nation in average height how crazy is that that's because the guy is like jones and on genda and, and that's something the friars are gonna have to deal with i mean this is a big big east this year so you get a little bit lucky not having to face some of the big men for yukon and for seton hall we'll see what happens david jones who's six six we'll see if he goes in this one but they got uh i've got to butcher the pronunciation an eye a-N-E-I, who plays for them, who's 6'10", on Genda, who's 6'11", and Brandon Johnson, who's 6'8". All of them are big players for DePaul. And this is going to be a phys- another physical battle. We're going to be saying that a lot this year, <laughs> the way the conference it, it, is. It's going to be another physical battle, Matt, and don't be surprised if Cooley goes with the same starting lineup and tight rotation. You know, uh, I think as it stands, 
we have one of the bigger starting lineups in the conference. You know, we're tough, we're physical. Our starting lineup is defense-oriented. I'll expect Bynum off the bench for roughly 30 minutes and Croswell to provide some solid paint minutes. Um, but otherwise, like maybe a sprinkle of Breed, if Goodine is healthy at that point, maybe some of him. But I'm expecting a tight and big rotation for Ed Cooley. Yeah, and it's here's the thing. It's working. The Friars really just they played seven guys against Seton Hall and won because those guys played good basketball. No good iron breed barely played. The Friars are winning without those guys. Then you just keep playing what works. You don't need to overcomplicate it. I always thought, too, even in years past with different rosters, um, that a tighter rotation works better just with what Ed Cooley does. The flex offense, the not flex offense, the defensive systems like tighter rotations work better and the tighter rotations with the bigger and longer guys work better. I I think Mm -hmm. the epitome of uh, a lanky rotation not working was against Alabama last year. We played like 10 to 12 guys like across the boards like you had Chris Monroe in there, but then you had Alan Breed in there and then good on like the size was up and down like. It just it, there's no consistency with that. Guys get hot. Guys get cold. You're you're stripping guys off the bench, looking, throwing you know what at the wall to see what sticks. I think when you know what works, and you know the guys that you need and the interchangeable pieces to the puzzle, you stick with it. And I think Ed Cooley's done a fine job of that this season. I just I hope it continues. Yeah. No, I I absolutely agree. I just went back to that Alabama game. The Friars had nine different players that played at least 10 minutes, plus Chris Monroe with six. And Noah Horkler only played six minutes and did not score in that game. So crazy how far the team has come since the days of him barely playing, uh, becoming the impact player, MVP against Seton Hall that he was. Blue guy. That's who he is. That's who he is. I want. So I also I have a bone to pick with John Rothstein because after the game, you know how he tweets out Ed Cooley, the American dream, like Ed Cooley, mm-hmm. period, the American dream, period. I tagged him in a tweet and wrote Noah Horkler, period, glue guy, period. Make it a T-shirt at John Rothstein. Like maybe a half hour later, he quotes his own Ed Cooley tweet and writes Noah Horkler, period, the unsung hero, period. Like. Oh, my goodness. St- you, I tagged you in a similar tweet 30 minutes ago, and now 30 minutes later, you're going to just make it your own hybrid and not give me any like creative credit for putting that in your brain. Uh, this is why I don't like him. I'm still still not entirely convinced that he is a real person. Um, I know we have friends that have met him. They might be lying. I don't know. I'm, uh, I think he just might be a robot that tweets takes. Yeah. I agree until I meet him in person. And even if I meet him in person, I'm still not going to be convinced otherwise. But uh, Friars right now, 12 and one got that tough game against DePaul coming up to start the new year. Let's start it off in style. Friars five and zero against quad one this year, two and zero in big East play. And I think it's fair to say this team has exceeded our expectations, exceeded everybody's expectations. They were picked to finish seventh in the big East. Yeah. And right now, we're the best team in the Big East. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Assuming if this team gets a win against the Paul, 
It'll be very interesting to see how the rankings shake out next Monday. Also on Saturday, over on CBS at 2 o'clock, Seton Hall hosting Villanova. So you're going to want to keep your eyes on that one as well. Now it's going to be New Year's Day. Got the Rose Bowl. Probably going to be just laying on the couch, a little hungover, resting up for the weekend. Just lay there what, and switch between Fox what's a and hangover? CBS. <laughs> what, what's a hangover? I guess you wouldn't know that, Joe. Uh, no, never. I guess you must drink a lot of water. Earth I actually drink. do drink a lot of water. That's a, good, that's a good call right there. But anyway, it's going to be as good a Saturday as any to just lay there on the couch and watch sports. Got some good Big East ball. We'll see. I mean, that Seton Hall Nova game, that's that could be that could have massive implications. And what do they say? The season doesn't start until somebody wins on the road. Well, the Friars have a top 25 road victory in the Big East. Let's see if Villanova has one, too. And depending on how things fall, I mean, Friars could be the, the top-ranked team in the Big East next Monday. That's I, I'd, I'm going to have to do, uh, do some research and find out the last time that was the case, if it's ever happened before. I think, I think most importantly, you go 2-0 and on the weekend. What did Ed Cooley say? Be them dudes. Be them dudes. I think that's going to do it for us here. Make sure you, uh, you're you following us on Twitter and subscribe wherever you're listening to this so you can be right back here after the DePaul game to get our thoughts. Make sure you're following um, Big East Coast Bias as well because we are both writing there and we have a, I, I have a podcast over there. Joe will be on it at some point. So make sure you go support over there as well so you can read our content there. And uh, as always, thank you for listening. Go Friars. <laughs>